This morning we looked at how to confront sinning Christians. And the specific sin that Paul was dealing with in 2 Thessalonians 3 was an undisciplined life, which in the case of at least some of the Thessalonians led to not working and in turn led to being a busybody, to meddling in other people's business. Tonight I want us to think a little bit more about what that undisciplined life looks like. How can we avoid it? Lack of discipline or laziness, as we might use as a synonym, is certainly not a new problem. Solomon dealt with it in the book of Proverbs. And so turn there, if you would, with me to Proverbs chapter 6 to see what he had to say on the subject. I think that uh, Solomon makes two main points in this short section regarding laziness. What is the first point that he makes? I think we see this in verses 6 through 8. The first point that he makes is this. Work brings reward. We see, first of all, that even the smallest of God's creatures does work. We see this in verse 6. The sluggard is admonished, encouraged, commanded, go to the ant, observe her ways, and be wise. Why do you think that Solomon would encourage the person who is lazy to go and to observe the ant? Now, in reality, this person may not choose to listen to Solomon's instruction. He may say, I'm going to persist in my laziness. But if he listened to Solomon's advice, said in the context of a father teaching his son how to live, warning him about bad ways to live, uh, here are things that as a king are going to cause problems for you if they are aspects of your character, one of which is laziness. In that context, Solomon encourages, go to the ant, observe her ways and be wise. Why, why go and look at a small creature like an ant? I think for one thing, because pictures are very helpful in understanding something. I don't know if this has been your experience, but uh, you can read how to do something, you can look at diagrams of how to do something, but watching someone else do it, sometimes there's something about that that just, it makes sense. You can connect with it, you can actually do it. And so the first reason I think that uh, Solomon encourages go to the ant is because here's a picture of the thing that I'm trying to teach you. Secondly, because the watching is supposed to provoke a response. It's not just go to the ant. All right, I've looked at it. Lots of them crawling around on the ground. Okay, I'm going to go on and, 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 and just do things exactly the way I was doing them before. What's the admonition at the end of verse 6? Observe her ways and be wise. And as you look at ants, it's fascinating to see how God has created even these tiny creatures to be an illustration of things that we can learn from. And we, we, uh, we have to be careful about this because sometimes we look at a particular animal, insect, so forth, and we attribute to it um, characteristics of people. In other words, we say, well... You know, the badger is very tenacious. Well, perhaps, or perhaps it's just acting according to the instincts that God created it to behave according to. Or the fox is very cunning. And while that's, again, true to a certain extent, it's not something that he's actively thinking, I need to be this way. The fox doesn't have those sorts of thoughts. It's just the way that God made it to be. And so we have to be careful when we're not reading into it a lesson that's not there. But if there is a lesson to be seen, I think it's helpful for us to look around us 
and see how God has made the world to work. What's the specific lesson that I think we're supposed to learn from the ant? I think we see it in verses 7 and 8. Work done well is rewarding. Work done well is rewarding. The first thing that is observed in verse 7 is that the ant has no chief, officer, or ruler. Now, we look at this and we think about the fact that there are similarities, for example, between ants and bees. And bees, of course, we know have a queen. But here's the question. Is the queen bee out there supervising the bees to gather the pollen from the flowers? No. Is there a parallel if they're uh, with an ant? Does the queen ant go and supervise the colony to make sure they're all doing what they're supposed to be doing? No. There's no ant that's, that, that's standing there and has the, the stripes on their shoulder that says that they're the first in command that has... Uh, that role and that responsibility. You look at the ants, and each one of them is doing what they're supposed to do without having to be watched, without having to be told over and over again, do this. Okay, now you go do this. Okay, you now go and do this. A significant parallel with this for us in life, I think, is the fact that as we grow in maturity, we should not need people to tell us what to do every single minute of the day. I've observed this in the context of school. Um, the difference perhaps between junior high and college and life in general. So maybe in junior high, you get a list of your assignments and your teacher says every day at the end of class, go do this. Here's what's coming up the next day. You better get it done. You go to college or tech school or, or, or job training, it's a little bit further step back. They say it, but maybe they're going to say it once, and then you're just expected to do it. And then you get to the point of having a job, and after that initial period of training, you're on your own. If, if you don't do it, there's nobody, generally, uh, depending on what the job is, standing over you saying, all right, did you get this done? Now, they'll come have a talk to you if, if there's something that you were supposed to do and it didn't get done, there'll be some kind of meeting with the person that's in charge of you, but it's not like in a good work situation, they're hovering over you every second. Did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? That, I think, is the first lesson that Solomon's pointing out from the ant. The ant does its work without being watched. It shows, humanly speaking, a sign of maturity and that can be left alone, and a recognition, for, on our part at least, that even when there's no human being watching us, God watches us. And that, this, I think, is the point that Paul makes in Colossians when he says, work not pleasing the people ultimately that you're working for, but work knowing that you're working for God. So if I do a good job, the reason that I do a good job is, yes, because it's expected of me, but more importantly, because God is watching me. And so by way of application of that principle, I think we need to keep those things in mind. But secondly, we have to do what we do when we need to do it. So not only should we be able to do what we're supposed to do without being told every moment, keep doing this, keep doing this, keep doing this, we're also supposed to be able to do what we need to do when we need to do it. They're connected, but they're not identical. This one is sticking at it without having to be supervised. This one is planning ahead. So think about what it says in verse 8. Prepares her food in the summer, 
gathers her provision in the harvest. In their case, summer and harvest wouldn't have necessarily been different time periods. In, in our minds, harvest happens in the fall, right? Uh, the corn and all those sorts of things are being gathered in. Uh, pumpkins in October, November, you know, we have that idea of harvest. And so for us, summer and harvest aren't the same thing, but for them, summer and harvest would have been very closely connected. That's when they would have harvested uh, their barley, their wheat, and so forth. Those things being in mind, why was it important for the ant to be diligent in the time of harvest? The answer is this. Where's the food going to come from for the rest of the year? If the ant assuming the ant could talk, said, I don't feel like gathering food right now. It's July, it's August, it's nice, it's hot out there. I don't want to go work. I'd rather go swimming. Nothing wrong with swimming. But here's the problem. Is that food always going to be there? No, that food's not always going to be there. So if the ant doesn't gather it at the time of harvest, the opportunity's gone. What's going to happen to the ant if there's no food because it didn't gather the food at the right time? The ant's going to starve. It's going to die. And so Solomon is pointing out the significance of go and watch the ant. Doesn't have to be told what to do constantly every moment. Knows that it needs to do what it's supposed to do when it needs to do it. These are the lessons that I think are being described for us in these verses. And what's the application then for us, at least of that second point? We need to do what we need to do when we need to do it, even if we don't feel like it. This is a constant struggle. There are many things in life that we don't want to do. I don't feel like doing this right now. You need to take the trash out. I can think of at least ten things I would rather do than take the trash out. But if no one takes the trash out, the house gets pretty miserable, right? It's something that has to be done. And so I can't say, I don't feel like doing it, so I'm not going to do it. Connected with this, just developing that idea further. If I said, for example, on a Thursday night, knowing that the trash is going to be picked up on Friday, I would rather go to bed early and I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to take it out. I'm not going to take it out tonight. I'm not going to take it out in the morning. I'll just get to it later. What happens? The trash can gets full. The yard starts to be a disaster. Your neighbors start to look at you like, I don't know about this guy. There are ripple effects of making lazy choices connected with that, even if it's hard. Sometimes laziness is not, I won't do it. Sometimes laziness is, at the first possible opportunity that I'm able to get out of something, I'm going to jump out of it. So let's say somebody says, I want you to do this task, but they don't feel like you feel like they didn't give you enough instructions. Well, the lazy person is going to say, well, they said that I needed to sweep the floor, but I don't know where the broom is, so I'm just not going to do it. And when they come, what's my response going to be? Well, I didn't know where to find the broom. The diligent person is not going to say, I didn't know where the broom was. The diligent person is going to say, okay. You've said to do this. Where's the tool that I need to accomplish this? And they'll ask for help. They'll say, here's what I need to do to accomplish the work I'm supposed to do. Instead of looking for an excuse to get out of doing what you're supposed to do. Maybe it's something where you say, if I do this, I'm going to be really, really tired. 
I remember when I was, uh, one summer, I was working for a guy and learning how to paint. And this was the job he gave me. He said, go out to my barn and scrape the paint off the side of the barn. It was an old wood barn. Paint was peeling off the side of it. So I started scraping, and at first it's fun. You know, there's, there's that sense of the flakes are falling off. Hey, this is going really well. And then I got to a part where the paint was really stuck. I'm thinking, this isn't so fun. This is hard work. Your arm starts to get tired. You're all hot and sweaty. You say, I don't really want to be doing this anymore. The lazy person is going to come to that point and say, this is hard. I'm not going to try anymore. The diligent person is going to say, you know what? Even though this is hard, this is necessary because this person that I'm working for said, we need to paint the barn. And if we're going to paint the barn, we've got to scrape the old paint off the barn. And that means that I have to do it even though I don't feel like it and even though it's hard work. In the same way, we encounter various things in life. And wisdom says, I should work even if nobody is watching. Wisdom says, I should work when I need to do it, again, even if I don't feel like it, even if it's hard. Why? Because I have to do all of these things, and if I don't do this one, the rest of these aren't going to happen, and then it's just going to sort of pile up and pile up and pile up, and I, I just won't see a way out of it. But if the fact that work brings reward, work brings reward in the sense that um, I... Uh, have the satisfaction of a job well done. Work brings reward in the sense of I have what I need when I need it, generally speaking. Certainly there are exceptions in life. But generally speaking, if you do your work in the way you're supposed to do it, you receive the benefits of that work. Whether that be money, whether that be praise from those that you're working for, whether that be uh, the, the knowledge and the skill that you need to do something else later, work brings reward. But if the knowledge that work brings reward isn't sufficient, Solomon then turns to the other side of it. And the warning is this. Laziness brings disaster. Work hard so that you receive the reward of your labor. Work hard because, as it teaches us in the book of Genesis, work is something that God gave us all to do. But recognize that if you don't work, if you're lazy, if you're undisciplined in the way that you approach life, it will bring disaster. Look at verse 9. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? He turns back to the sluggard. He says, look at the ant. The ant is gathering her food right now. It's the time to gather in the harvest from the field. Why are you lying there sleeping? Your time is running out. Again, in the same way that the ant has a limited time period to get done what it needs to get done, so the lazy person had a limited amount of time to provide for his needs. The time for work is fading quickly. The time for sleep is over. Get out there and do what you need to do. Solomon is urging the sluggard, don't just keep laying there. It's time to work. And this is a challenge all of us face. Sometimes getting started is very difficult. And then once we get into it, it's a little bit easier. And then we hit that spot where we've been doing it for a while and we get tired of it. But, but getting started is sometimes the initial obstacle to doing what we need to do. Because 
it's really easy to come up with, as we'll see in verse 10, all sorts of excuses. I know there's this responsibility that I have. I know that I need to do this. But what's he say? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. It's as though Solomon is looking at the lazy person. He's saying, get up! And the lazy person is saying, another five minutes. And I hit the snooze button again. Now, the snooze button is a blessing and a curse. Some of us use it as a tool. Some of us misuse it as a tool. Sometimes you hit it and you say, all right, I know I've got to get up in five minutes. And it sort of gives you a, a spot to clear your head. Sometimes you, you hit it and you're like, I'm just not getting up today. That's when it becomes a problem. But what's, what's Solomon saying? Solomon is saying there's a series of small choices of putting things off that will lead to problems. So you say, okay, here's my list of ten things I need to do this week. Uh, I don't really feel like doing the last eight, so I'm going to wait on those. What's going to happen next week? There's going to be another ten things that you have to do. So now you've got 18 things to do because you only did two of the 10 from last week. And then you come to the next week and now you've got, the list keeps piling up and piling up and piling up. And so it's not always immediately visible that there is a problem. Sometimes it takes a while to show up. Uh, if you buy things, you have to pay for them either on the spot or when the bill comes in the mail. And you can say, well, um, I don't have to deal with that right now, and that's true. But then it comes, and then you've got a window in which you can deal with it. And if you put it off too long, then it comes again, and it says, and here's the extra you have to pay alongside that, and it just sort of keeps piling up. The same is true about many other things in life. We need to deal with them when they come up. These little delays are the problem. Notice he doesn't say sleep is bad. We might at first think that. He's saying sleep is bad. He's not saying sleep is bad. How do we know that? Because in other places, we see that, for example, sleep is a gift from God. Psalm 127.2 says God gives his people rest. Psalm 4.8 says, in God's power, in God is my refuge, I can rest, I can dwell securely. The issue is not having sleep. The issue is potentially too much sleep. Proverbs 20 and verse 13 says this. It says, Do not love sleep or you will become poor. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with food. Now it's not quite as simple as that, but what's a proverb? A proverb is a short summary of a truth in a memorable way. So what's he saying? If I sleep all day long, all the time, I'm not going to have what I need. And it's not like if I stay up 24 hours a day, I'm going to have everything I need. But he's saying that in contrast to, I put off all my responsibilities, rather I do the things that I'm supposed to do. I get up when I need to, I do what I need to do. Not only is too much sleep bad, but sleep at the wrong time is bad. A little earlier in the chapter that we're looking at, look at chapter 6 and verse 4. He says, give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. In what context? Verse 3, do this, my son, and deliver yourself, since you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Humble yourself and importune or, or plead with your neighbor. 
and in the context of verses 1 through 3, he's basically saying, you've committed yourself to pay something, and he's saying, you need to deal with that promptly. This raises a whole other set of questions. Is debt sinful? You know, all those sorts of things. I don't think that we can say that debt is sinful, but I think that we, we can definitely say that debt creates an obligation that is parallel to, but not identical to slavery. In what sense? As long as that debt exists, I owe something to someone. And so Solomon is saying, if I have offered, Solomon is saying, I should deal with that quickly because until it's dealt with, there's always that thing hanging over my head. We live in a society where there are, where there are massive expenses that are beyond our ability to pay all up front. And so we have to make the choice. What, uh, what, am I, what am I going to do? Am I going to say, I'm going to only buy things that I can pay for right away? Or am I going to say, I can uh, wisely say, here are the limits, as best I know, of what I'm able to sustain? And moving aside from that, coming back to the point here, he's saying, if someone knows that their mortgage payment is coming up, if someone knows that their utility bill is coming up, if someone knows that a credit card bill is coming up, and they say, you know what, I don't feel like working this week, that's going to bring disaster for them. Again, he's not talking about someone who is unable to work. He's talking about someone who is perfectly able to work but doesn't want to. So what does he say? The problem is when you sleep too much, when you sleep when you, uh, when you really don't need it, you just really like to do it. When you sleep at the wrong time, such as when you know there's a pressing obligation coming up and you're saying, you know what, I don't really want to, I'm not going to face this right now, um, I, it'll be okay, you know, those sorts of ideas, and you, and you sort of put it off, so you sleep at the wrong time, or, and connected with that, sleeping to avoid life's issues. We see this in Proverbs 19 and verse 15. Laziness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle man will suffer hunger. Sometimes we use sleep or any number of other things as a way to avoid the difficulties of life. Perhaps there's sorrow. Perhaps there's some difficult situation we don't know what to do in. Perhaps there's some overwhelming set of obligations that, that we just say... I don't know how to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this. What is something that some people turn to? Some people turn to alcohol. Some people turn to books. Some people turn to food. Some people turn to sleep. I'm going to sleep because I would rather sleep than deal with life's issues. Sleep is not sinful, but it's not an escape from the responsibilities that God has given to us. And I think a lot of this is connected with the things that God has called us to do. So let me just illustrate it this way. If I'm a church member and I say, you know what? I'm really tired. I'm not going to go to church. There are cases when someone is legitimately tired and they're not going to be able to do their job well and they're not going to be able to provide for their family unless they miss a service. That's one thing. But if someone has a consistent habit of saying, I'm not going to come to church because I can sleep for an extra hour if I don't come to church, that's a problem, right? 
What about the responsibility of being a father? God has said that a father is supposed to take care of his family, care for his wife, care for his children. If he says, there's all these things that I have to do to take care of my family, but I don't really want to do any of them, again, there's a problem here. If he says, I'd rather sleep than do all of these things, that's what Solomon's getting at. That is an excuse that he cannot make. If as a Christian I say, you know what? I need to be doing, I need to be praying, I need to be thinking about God's word, I need to be doing some other thing that God has called me to do, but I'd rather go do this instead. I'd rather sleep. I'd rather... Again, I'm making an excuse and saying that responsibility is not that important. And a lot of times, it's not a major thing. It's not, I'm going to skip all the things I'm supposed to do this month. What Solomon, I think, is warning about when he says a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, is that there are small choices that we make that as they become habits lead to bigger and bigger choices and bigger and bigger problems. And that's what he says in verse 11. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. The word is uh, perhaps also could be put as a, a traveler, a wanderer. What is the point of saying that poverty will come like a vagabond and need like an armed man? When we're not necessarily expecting problems to come, the consequences of consistent laziness are going to come upon us and overwhelm us. In what sense? Well, I think he's making the parallel that it will be sudden. It will come in like a vagabond, one who wanders, someone who's coming and, uh, and just saying, I'm going to take what's yours and I'm going to seize it. I think the parallel with an armed man is here's someone that, uh, literally one who carries a shield, here's a guy who's powerfully has weapons. I can't say, oh no, I, I, I'm not going to listen to you because he's stronger than I am. So what's the point? If I consistently make small choices of laziness, at some point the consequences of those choices are going to catch up to me and they're going to overwhelm me and I'm not going to be able to keep putting it off any longer. I'm going to have to deal with it right then and right there. Laziness brings disaster. Just simple truths. Work brings reward. Laziness brings disaster. So, so what's the point? At one level, it's don't be lazy, work hard. But on another level, as we think about how this relates to our Christian lives, why is it wrong for us to be lazy? As we saw this morning, laziness contradicts truth that we know we're supposed to do. God has said, here's things that you're supposed to be and do. And if we say, the things that I feel like doing are here, the things that God has said I must do are here, our priorities are wrong. We're undisciplined in our life because we're being driven by what we feel like doing instead of being driven by truth. Secondly, we are failing to follow godly examples and we're failing to set a godly example. Here's someone who is following God and we say, you know what, they're following God, but I'm not going to follow their example. And we, we forget that there are people watching us, children, peers, co-workers, whoever, and we say, well, it really doesn't matter how I live, but the reality is that it does, because 
as we live our lives, we are giving a picture to people around us of what a Christian is like. And so if someone looks at us as a Christian and says, that person's a Christian, I don't want to be a Christian because I don't want to be a lazy person. I don't want to be a person whose life is a mess, who constantly is, is getting caught short by deadlines and bills and all these other sorts of things because they just don't care. They don't try. Then we look at that and we say, I've given people around me a poor testimony of what it means to follow Christ. And without drawing an, an inappropriate parallel, consider Christ. Was everything that Christ did something that he probably wanted to do, humanly speaking? No. I mean, we look at the Garden of Gethsemane, at the very least, the crucifixion was not something that Christ, we could say, wanted. It said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will but thine. Now, that's the greatest example of overcoming something that he didn't want to do to do something that he needed to do. We're not Jesus. God has not called us to be crucified and to atone for sins and all those things that Jesus was called to do. And yet, God has called us to follow Jesus' example. And so if Jesus overcame the obstacles to doing what God wanted him to do, then we can't be people whose lives are characterized by making excuses and putting off the things that God wants us to do simply because we don't feel like them. We don't want to do them. They're difficult. They're hard. They're painful in some way. So as we look back through this passage, do you learn from the ant? For that matter, do you learn from the people that you watch around you? Because even if you don't have an anthill outside your house you can go and watch, there's certainly people who exhibit the same characteristics, positively and negatively. Are you a person who has to have someone watching in order for you to do any work? Do you work if no one is watching? Or do you only work if someone asks you regularly and checks up on you? Are you someone who does what you need to do at the time you need to do it. Do you plan ahead? Or does everything in life just sort of take you by surprise because you never look ahead to what's coming and think, I've got to do this, which means I have to do this, which means I have to do this. Part of maturity is getting to the point where we can not just do things the moment they come up, but sort of take a few steps back and say, what are all the things that need to happen between now and then? becoming disciplined and organized in the way that we live. Those are things that we should ask ourselves if they're true of our lives. Or, negatively, is it true of our life that we constantly make excuses? I know I should do this, but I'm just going to put it off till tomorrow. Legitimately, there are things that do not matter in life. If my roof is leaking and if uh, the laundry is unfolded, which of those is a higher priority? The roof needs to get fixed, right? So is it sinful to put off things that are less important for a time? No. 
there are things that maybe I feel like I need to do that I don't actually need to do. So we have to recognize that. But the things that we need to do, if we continually neglect them, if we constantly make excuses for them, builds in us a habit of failing to do what we ought to do that leads us into more and more trouble as life goes on. If you have experienced that point where trouble has come in, all of these poor choices have caught up to you and you say, I'm overwhelmed, I don't know what to do. What's the starting point? The starting point is to say, God, I've sinned by being lazy. Will you forgive me? The starting point is to take a step at a time and start, instead of saying, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that. Start doing the things that you're supposed to do. Seek help from people who can help you to accomplish the things that you need to do. And again, remember, Solomon is not talking to someone who is so overwhelmed by circumstances outside their control that they find themselves in, in a very difficult situation. He's not saying to the person who had an, an unexpected medical expense or they lost their job or something like that, this is all your fault. He's not saying that. What he is saying is to the person who could work, the person who could take care of themselves, and is just like, I'm not going to do that. He's saying, wake up. This will destroy your life. Laziness is not just a problem for teenagers. Laziness is not just a problem for older people. Laziness is not just a problem for whatever class you want to name. Laziness is a problem for all of us. And so I think God wants to examine our lives and say, where am I being lazy? Or specifically, where am I being undisciplined? Where is there something that I should be doing, and I'm doing this other thing instead? It can come in a variety of ways. Rest is good. It's a gift from God. Um, relaxation can be refreshing and encouraging. Going to the other extreme of being burned out because we spend all of our time doing all of these things is not godly either. And yet, if we come over here and we say, I'm not going to do what I need to do when I need to do it. I'm not going to do what I need to do unless someone is constantly saying, do it, do it, do it. That's a sign of at least immaturity and more likely sinfulness. Are you lazy or are you wise? God calls all of us to be wise, to work, to organize the details of our lives so that we are as free as possible to do the ministry that he's called us to do and we're not constantly getting interrupted from doing that ministry because of poor choices and lack of planning and failure to do what he's already told us to do. Don't be lazy. Be wise. Let's pray. Lord, it's easy to be lazy about many things. As a parent, we can say, I don't want to deal with this situation with my kids. I'll just put it off. And then we wonder why things are not going well. Or, as an employee, sometimes we say, I don't want to do the work that's assigned to me. And again, it leads to problems for us. 
as uh, people who are supposed to be following you, you said there's certain things that we need to do to continually build our relationship with you, and then we stop doing them and make excuses for why we haven't done them, and then we wonder why we are stumbling into sin so often. Lord, help us not to put off the things that we must do for the sake of living our lives according to the things that we feel like doing. Or more importantly, help us to grow in our relationships with you so that there is a greater and greater alignment between the things that we ought to do and the things that we want to do. By your grace, you can change our desires, our wishes, the course of our lives so that we both do things and want to do things that are honoring to you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to do that, even at looking at these simple truths tonight. Lord, if we've been lazy, and perhaps not if, but in the areas that we are potentially lazy, Lord, help us to see that we must change in those. Help us to see that we only change through your help, through your strength. Lord, help us to not neglect the most important things that you have called us to do. There are many things in life that we can do, so many things that can fill our time. But if we fill our time with those things and neglect the things that are most important, then, Lord, we will have lived wasted lives. Help us not to waste our lives. Help us not to live our lives sinfully, but to live wisely and to live in a way that we will stand in your presence and that you will greet us and say, well done, and that our lives can be described as faithful. Lord, help that to be our desire and our motivation to bring you glory in all that we do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.